I'm Peter Medlin, and you are listening to Teacher's Lounge. And if this is your first time hearing our show, it's a simple idea. We've all had teachers in our lives who helped us become who we are today. And every teacher we have on this podcast, whether teacher, coach, or professor, is nominated by the folks who listen. So we want you to be a part of this show with us. So please do tell us about the educators who've inspired you and the folks in your community who deserve a spotlight. You can email us with your nominations and story ideas at teacherslounge at niu.edu. This week, everybody needs a coach, including your high school science teacher. We are chatting with Mike Weinbrenner. He is an instructional coach at North Boone High School in Poplar Grove, Illinois. Mike spent over two decades as a history teacher, and now he coaches teachers to help them help their students. We can spend an entire career standing by ourselves in a room full of students with nobody to bounce ideas off, and that's a shame. And he talks about how sometimes his most productive coaching sessions start off with a good old-fashioned gripe session. I don't want it to turn into just what's wrong with the kids, what's wrong with the what's wrong with the classroom. But if we identify, and then I want to prioritize, right? Well, we can't control all these things, but maybe what's what's one thing that's biggest on your list? That's how we come up with a goal a lot of times. From that gripe session, we'll say, well, this is my number one thing. It's, you know, student engagement. They're just not engaged. Okay, there we go. We have our goal. Now, what are some things that we can do to try to improve student engagement? Again, things we can control. Hear how Mike is helping teachers celebrate their students' success, work together, and trust the process. We've got that and more coming up. But first, we've got another education story we want to share. Illinois devoted $25 million worth of federal COVID relief funds on a high-impact tutoring program. And the federal funding runs out next year, and I wanted to figure out how big of an impact the program has had. Melissa Sago is the principal at Lincoln Douglas Elementary in Freeport, and she remembers looking at student academic data last fall and seeing her students, the majority of whom are low-income, struggling. For my school, we were at a sense of crisis. She felt a sense of urgency. So when she found out their school qualified to participate in the Illinois Tutoring Initiative, they jumped at the chance, and she wanted to lead by example. Sago recruited teachers and paraprofessionals to sign up as tutors and started tutoring students herself. From December through the spring, they tutored about 16 students in math after school. But what makes this tutoring high impact? Well, it's a few things. They have to meet multiple times per week, and they have to be in groups of three or fewer students. If you could tutor one-on-one, even better. Sago says the small group format also allows her to build stronger relationships with the students she's tutoring. Teachers just don't get much one-on-one time with their students, let alone the principal, and she says they can already see the academic impact of the Illinois Tutoring Initiative. This year, Lincoln Douglas students' math scores grew over 12% relative to other students in the state. And that's compared to the average state growth, which was about flat. Most of our students that come to our after-school tutoring program are our students of lower income. And they actually had better growth than our all students' populations. That's true. Low-income Lincoln Douglas student growth scores jumped 18% this year. Now they're tutoring nearly 40 kids with a wait list for more. 
And the high impact tutoring appears to be helping students statewide too. According to state data, 75% of students who took part in the Illinois Tutoring Initiative during the last school year achieved expected or more than expected reading growth. And for students tutored in math, it was 80%. Christy Borders is the executive director of the Illinois Tutoring Initiative. And she says the vast majority of students also self-reported that they were really confident in the material and enjoyed the experience. The program really worked for schools like Lincoln Douglas, but only a fraction of eligible Illinois school districts have been able to take advantage of the program. The state identified and prioritized school districts based on a few factors, like the concentration of low-income students, funding, and students who faced a, quote, disproportionate COVID-19 impact, including lost in-person instructional time. And of the 290 Illinois school districts initially identified, Only 20%, 59 districts, utilized the program last year. This year, it's up to a quarter of districts. But why didn't many school districts take advantage of the $25 million project? Border says there were challenges getting schools on board. A lot of our schools in Illinois have already put tutoring in place. And so they they were already working with one tutoring program and maybe it was just too much to take something else on. There were also scheduling and transportation issues at some schools. And those were barriers even for schools that did participate. Students attended the tutoring 60% of the time last year. In the northern Illinois region, 11 out of 33 identified districts are receiving tutoring, including the kids at Lincoln Douglas. Scott Fisher is the superintendent of the South Beloit Community Unit School District. His district was identified for the tutoring initiative and signed up to participate last fall. They had a local tutoring program and put it on the back burner to focus on the tutoring initiative. But... Fisher says last fall, the initiative couldn't deliver on what they promised. He says they were told they'd get 25 to 30 tutors, but ended up with less than four. And after about a month and a half, they dropped out of it and went back to their old tutoring program. He says they just couldn't wait any longer to start tutoring their students. In a statement to WNIJ, Fisher said, quote, We were excited, but I've got to tell you, there was some disappointment with how it went. The Illinois Tutoring Initiative is supported through federal COVID relief funds known as ESSER, and those funds have to be allocated by September of next year. Right now, over $16.5 million of the project's $25 million has yet to be spent. Borders says they have underspent so far, but the goal is to continue scaling, adding more tutors, reaching more students, and spending as much as they have remaining. As of now, they're prepared to tutor students through this school year and into next summer. She's also hoping the funding deadline gets delayed and they'll be able to keep going beyond the summer. If not, she says they don't completely know if leftover, unspent federal aid will just go back to the federal government. What I continue to say to everyone all the time is, as long as those dollars are available, we will provide tutoring in as many places as we possibly can. At schools like Lincoln Douglas, Melissa Sago says they're more than happy to participate as long as the program will be around. She says any way to get more one-on-one support, especially when it doesn't cost them anything, is a big win for her students. All right, now it's time for our conversation with instructional coach Mike Weinbrenner. Can you really quick just give like a brief explainer about what an instructional coach is? Sure. Um, in fact, that's that's a good place to start because this is brand new to our district. So even our own teachers 
Uh, and even myself, two or three years ago, didn't know what an instructional coach is or what is exactly is it that you right. do? So this is your second year then as an instructional coach? This is coach? our second year uh, yeah. in our district launching instructional coaching. So long story short, instructional coaching is just help teachers set goals uh, to meet students' needs. That's the simplest way I could put it. Um, it's more technical than that. We have uh, we get involved in coaching cycles where I work with a teacher from four to six weeks, and we set a learning target. What is it that you're that you want students to know that maybe they're struggling with? And then what we do is we take those standards, we unpack them together, and then we actually co-plan and pre-assess, co-teach, and then reassess at the end of a coaching cycle. And hopefully, we've seen that the students have have grown, that they've met their goals. Um, but it can be info more informal than that, where I'm literally just helping teachers something that they're struggling with or something they want to do better in, whether it's classroom management, increasing student engagement, whatever. It's really up to the the teacher. It's teacher driven. Right. And are, are you the only instructional coach at the school, at the high school then? I am. We have four in the district, but I'm the only one at the high school. Yeah. That's interesting that it can be as you know formalized as you guys put together a plan for a certain period of time, work on that, see how it goes, and then reassess. And then sometimes it could just be, you know, I, I need help with this. Could you give me a hand? But that's, it's, it's, a, it's interesting, too, as like as opposed to what people think from, you know, administration where, you know, someone like a principal or vice principal obviously has, you know, more responsibilities, you know, for logistics and things going on in the school outside of purely what's being taught and how it's being taught but you get to focus your attention solely on instruction, which is really cool. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's super important that we emphasize and I emphasize that it's non-evaluative. I'm not an administrator. I'm not there to report to a principal, what a teacher is doing well or isn't doing well. It's, right. and it's, it, it takes a high level of trust and I have to earn that trust. Uh, and so the first conversations, when the first conversations I have with teachers is, is that whatever we do, whatever we say, whatever we come up is, it's absolutely confidential. It's between the teacher and myself, and it's just to help the teacher, um, again, whatever it is, whatever goal they have for themselves in their profession or what, what goals they have for their students, it's just to help teachers uh, just come alongside and partner with them. Yeah. So, yeah, that's huge. Those conversations uh, that we have and those interactions are confidential and, and I'm not there to evaluate them or judge them in any way. Right. And you were a classroom teacher for for years and years before 25 years. Yeah, I was I, I was in the classroom. So how I know it's like to be judged. I was going to say, how did you find that transition? Because I, I always think it's so fascinating to talk to folks that, you know, spend years, decades in the classroom and then move on to a more broad role where they like, right, get to influence more, get to have an impact on more people potentially. But then sometimes that means that it also comes at the cost of the thing that they really, you know, made them fall in love with the profession and like, you know, every day getting to be in the classroom, building relationships with students, that sort of thing. How has the transition to instructional coach been for you over the last couple of years? It is definitely adjustment. Uh, so you bring up a really good point. Uh, I, for 25 years, I was with, let's say 100 and 125 students every day. Yeah. Uh, now, not so much. So I'm, I, I do co-teach with teachers. So when I get in the classrooms, I'm in their classroom, right? So I don't know the students necessarily as well. Um, but it does give me a more unique perspective where I can see the students. Again, you're biased when you're when you have that student or those students by yourself for a whole year, you could become biased in what you see in your observations and in your interpretation of how they're learning. I come in just as a fresh set of eyes. So it's positive and negative. Um, right. Honestly, 
I don't know if I could do this if I wasn't in the classroom at all. Uh, so yeah. I'm really, really value those times where I'm working with teachers and they allow me in their classrooms and I'm co-teaching with them. I will say this, that's another thing that's been adjustment, but a really, uh, it's been so much fun and a nice surprise is uh, working with other teachers and literally co-teaching because in my own career, uh, we just didn't collaborate that much. And I think that's probably, uh, if I had to guess, that was a problem or a problem across the country with teachers is that we don't get to collaborate uh, very much at all. We're in our classrooms by ourselves with our students. And sometimes we just try things and hope they work. Or if they don't, we don't have anybody to brainstorm with. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is, this is where I think the true value in coaching is, is that we come together, teacher and coach, and we brainstorm. We say, what went well? What didn't go well? Why don't we try this? And just even students, I think the student engagement is really improved because the students like having two adults in the room and seeing teachers interact and co-teach, I think is is fun for them as well. So it's it's been a, it's been a challenge, but I think there's been some nice surprises that I, I wasn't prepared for uh, coming into coaching as well. Yeah, you definitely have to have that in the classroom thing. I think that's, that's got to feel very grounding for the experience. Yeah. It, it's again, I, I wouldn't be very effective if I wasn't in the classroom at all. There's certain things yeah. I could certainly help teachers with, with planning and, you know, whether it's organization, lesson planning, goal setting, all that stuff I can do certainly behind the scenes. And I do, a lot of times I do consult in those things. Uh, but unless you're in the classroom and allow maybe a coach to come in and at the very least observe the students, work with the students, it's going to be really hard to set those goals and have those students achieve those goals if you're not in there with the teacher and the students. So does your job look very different from a day-to-day -day basis, depending on, on what you're doing, how you're planning, who you're talking to? Yeah, you have to be super flexible as a coach. Um, again, as a classroom teacher, I knew my schedule. I, I had five classes a day, I had a planning period, and then I had some kind of duty, whether it was hall duty or uh, cafeteria lunch duty, something like that. But my schedule was the same. Uh, my schedule is all over the place because, again, I make myself available to teachers. So my lunch isn't even in the same at the same time every day. Uh, oh. It all depends on the teacher schedules and who I'm working with. So one day I might not be in any classrooms. And this is a good example. Uh, last Friday, I was in no class, no classrooms. Monday, the principal couldn't find me because I was in five, six different classrooms. <laughs> so my, I have to be f flexible with my schedule and I have to communicate clearly where I am. Right. Right. And so you got, you mentioned that you guys have like individual plans and goals that you're trying to, to reach. And those could be small little adjustments or those could be like big, broad goals, you know, for the term, I would imagine. Do you guys also have like goals that you have even more broadly for like, you know, the, the staff in general or for like several teachers within a certain uh, subject or anything, something like that? Uh, yeah, I do a lot of professional de development for the staff. So a really good example of that is just uh, quarterly. What I like to do is I invite the staff to come in uh, and I usually offer it at the end of a quarter twice. So uh, uh, two separate days, because I know some uh, teachers are busy uh, with their schedules, but I offer a professional development. And it could be on a topic. My last topic, for example, was common informative assessments and how to create uh, assessments and things like that. So sometimes what I'll do is I'll attend a conference or a training and I come back and I do professional development and training for uh, teachers. Some of it is just how to use different technology when there's a new tool or a resource that becomes available. I have more time than teachers, so I will practice with that resource, try it out, and then I will, uh, again, offer uh, 
opportunities for staff to learn and practice with me where again it's a little it's less formal it's more comfortable where we just sit together and have coffee and donuts and we will practice with a a new tool or resource for teaching so i do a lot of that as as well i also work with entire departments so i right. might not just work with one social studies teacher i might work with the entire social studies department and we as a group have a goal maybe it's for example they want their students to be able to interpret sources better to be able to read primary sources that's something i could do across the department and then i'll be in uh, i'll pick a day and i'm in each different social studies teachers class doing a very similar lesson with that goal yeah because I, I was curious too if you had an example of over the last and again this is your second year but over these first couple of years of an example where you were able to, and again, this could be department-wide or with a specific teacher where you were able to like identify something, you know, kind of give it a good challenge to a teacher for them to try to achieve something that they were striving towards and how that kind of worked out. Um, yeah. For the most part, uh, the cycles, we, we do what we call student-centered cycles. So it's more yeah. on student growth than necessarily yeah. the, the teacher. And again, I sure. think that's important is because, um, uh, teachers, again, we're all human. And I think if we make it more about fixing teachers, that sends the wrong message, right? Oh, yeah. uh, but if we focus on, you know, student achievement, uh, I'm more successful. So as far as an example, I, I could give you an example um, where teachers are, a teacher wanted to work on increasing student participation. So it's still student-centered, right. but it's a teacher goal because as teachers, it's a real challenge for us to keep students engaged and get students to participate, right? Uh, and it's a challenge, I think, for a lot of teachers to get students to participate at a high level, meaning where they're challenging each other respectfully, for example, or they're asking thoughtful questions, not just raising their hand and saying yes or no or responding, uh, but more, like I said, in-depth where the students are really directing their learning. They're challenging each other. They're asking high-level questions. They are uh, testing theories. So that level of participation, that's where I myself and I I worked with a teacher. In fact, I worked with um, Zena McFadden, who we both who we both know and that you chatted with. She's one uh, that wanted that as a goal. She wanted more student-driven participation and higher-level participation. Uh, that does relate to student achievement, right? Students are generally going to score higher on tests and, and perform better if they can direct their own learning and uh, really focus their thinking. So that was something that she wanted to work on as an educator, what tools I could give her to increase student participation. But at the same time, it was still about the students. It wasn't about making a teacher better, so to speak. It was about just giving the teacher tools to have the students take more ownership in their learning. We are helping the teacher, but helping the teacher help the students, right? So it's just one step down further from there. Yeah, exactly. Well said. Well said. Yeah. So a lot of times the teacher might have a goal. It might be an individual goal. But at the end of the day, it's not about making, as I said, it's not about, well, you don't do this well. You need to do it better. It's about how can we reach the students? How can we help the students perform better? How, how can we prepare the students even, whether it's for a trade or higher education or just again, life skills. Have you, over the last couple of years, have you thought about, you know, your time for, you know, you said 20, 25 years as a classroom teacher being like, man, would have been really nice to have that extra set of eyes in those situations too. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. In fact, I've, I've thought of that, that this, again, as I said, this is my second year, pretty consistently over these last two years, seeing and being a coach, I, I've said numerous times, I wish I had this as a teacher. 
Yeah. Wish so much that I had a coach uh, uh, as a teacher. Uh, and if I wasn't coaching and somebody else was chosen in this role, I absolutely would be using instructional coaching. Uh, we all need a coach. And I've said this to my teachers all the time. I benefit just as much as they do. I learn as just as much as they do. It's not about the coach uh, having more knowledge or more anything. It's just, uh, again, a, a second set of eyes, someone to brainstorm ideas, um, a diff get a different perspective. So for sure, um, again, uh, if, if I have an opportunity to talk, in fact, I have and will have opportunities to talk to other districts. Our district is actually participating in a conference uh, in Chicago in November, and we're going to be, be presenting how we've uh, utilized instructional coaching and implemented in our district and, and the results that we're seeing. Uh, hoping that more districts will uh, get engaged in instructional coaching and more collaboration with teachers. Yeah, it seems like that's a direction that a lot of school districts are going in towards just generally collaboration in general. I don't know how much of it is related to the pandemic or not, but I think that in some situations, there were examples where over those couple of years when you were, you know, on your own, or people on Zoom, they both feel more isolated, but then also kind of forces you to collaborate on certain things more than others. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, again, the, the pandemic, we were forced to isolate, but at the same time, it was so new to teachers. None of us knew really how to, uh, a lot of districts, they didn't have one-to-one, -one, they didn't have computers right. or, or any of this. In fact, our district, we did not have one-to-one, -one, meaning we did not have, each student did not have their own laptop or their own device until the pandemic. And we were forced to pivot uh, very quickly to something we've never done before. And again, because of that, as you said, teachers were forced to collaborate that we were, when we weren't doing a Zoom class with our students, we were having Zoom meetings with each other saying, well, how do I do this? I have this class. How do I do this online? How can I push this assignment out to the students? So we were sharing resources and ideas on the fly. Uh, and I do think if, if there was a positive that came from the pandemic and there weren't many, uh, I think one of them was that increased collaboration where teachers now that we're back in person, we're still collaborating and sharing ideas. Uh, and I think that may have led to coaching in, in different districts such as ours. Right. I've actually, over the last couple of weeks, been interviewing different teachers at different levels about how they go about trying to build relationships with students over the first couple weeks, couple you know months of the at the beginning of the school year to really build a foundation and set the tone for the rest of the year and getting people's opinions on on how they do that and you know if they've been in teaching for a long time how that's changed for them over the course of their career, it's got to be interesting from your perspective now in this role where you've got that but you're also you know building relationships with teachers and you know so much of that is like okay I've got to prove to people that like I can help them right and for teachers it's like I could got to prove to the students that I can help them and and then your role now it's like you have to prove that you can help teachers then go help their students it's you know it all comes back to the students now I'm curious how that's that's been over the you know over your time so far where Obviously, the teachers, I'm sure most of them knew you and had a relationship, so there's some trust that's already built up there. But to go from that to, oh, actually, we can make a difference and, and help you know students through this new role. 
Yeah, I, I think you're right. Uh, again, having been at the high school, I've been teaching 25 years. I've not been at the high school for 25 years, but I've been here for the last eight, nine years. Yeah. Uh, and because of that, you're right. I, I I built a lot of that trust. They know me. I think it's more difficult for coaches uh, that have to come into a new building because they have to, again, they have to build that, that trust. What I've had to do is kind of get teachers to trust the process. Uh, I I think I, I a lot of teachers inherently trust me because they know me, and so I have that advantage. But they don't know about instructional coaching. A lot of teachers don't know how coaches work. It might be intimidated about having another adult in the classroom. Again, some of these teachers have been teaching a long time by themselves, not having anybody else in the classroom with them, and that could be intimidating. So I have to, again, what I do is I try to, uh, instill that trust in the process and explain uh, why we're, we're doing things. And when I make a suggestion, uh, really highlighting that that's all it is. That right. People don't feel like absolutely. they're you know being evaluated, right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, again, I it's super important that teachers know that I'm not I'm never telling them what to do. I'm only giving them suggestions. And I tell the teachers all the time, feel free. If, if I suggest things that you don't like, feel free to tell me that it's okay not to like my suggestion or you think, well, you know that I don't think that'll work in my classroom because they are, they are the experts in the room. They're the experts in their content. And so I've had to do that um, more so than maybe really trying to market myself, so to speak, or, or try to get them to trust me. I just trust the process and, and trust coaching and word of mouth gets around and it's been very positive. So I worked with a last year being the first time we've done this. I started out with a couple brave souls that were willing to engage in coaching. A couple of those teachers said, okay, well, let's do it. And then they had such a wonderful experience and saw the students grow, saw that I was able to take pressure off them by sharing the workload, even something as simple as that. Hey, let me help you so you don't have to do all the prep. Um, has been wonderful. And then they talk to other teachers and say, hey, yeah, this this instructional coaching has been uh, helpful. And, and so that word of mouth spreads and I was able to do uh, have, by all accounts, a very successful first year in coaching last year and this year it's continued. As far as students, I have to build their trust just because uh, they used to know me and now they they don't know me. They don't know what an instructional coach is. So I have to explain them. Hey, why is this strange guy in my classroom? Right. Slightly I'm different dynamic than you being there every day. Yeah. So again, I, I also have to build a relationship with them. If they don't know me, uh, then I try to do that as, as well and get to know them. And I think that's the key, whether you're talking to a teacher or a student. The key is to show that you're there to genuinely help them. You, you, you're you there because you genuinely care about them and you want them to be successful. Um, and you just, and I think empathy is huge, both teacher and student. Uh, empathy for what teachers are going through every day and empathy, what a student has to go through inside and out of the classroom. And if you, if they see that, then again, then they're going to build that trust and they're, they're going to be willing to work with you, both teacher and student. I was just... Uh the other day interviewing some folks uh, at Organization Advance Illinois. I don't know if you know them, but they're an education policy uh, organization. They just released this big report that was about uh, like the Illinois teacher pipeline and kind of the state of the Illinois teacher workforce. And as a part of that conversation, one of the things the teacher or the, the person was talking to or talking about who is a former classroom teacher and everything is she was saying that like, you know, it's important that we have all these systems in place and, you know, we're able to build this up because, it is so hard to be a teacher. And she was saying that she feels like actually right now it's kind of harder than it's ever been. And I wonder what you think about that, not from, from that perspective of like, is it more difficult now to be a teacher than it ever has been? But, you know, 
with that in mind, I bet that it is more helpful now to be able to shoulder some of the load and and help out for those teachers that are again after you know again we have these couple years of of pandemic learning and and things like that that now maybe more than ever having that extra help is probably really beneficial oh no doubt hundred uh, percent now more than ever like you said now more than ever I think teachers need to come alongside each other and support each other uh, and sometimes that could be just emotionally support each other. And I think a coach can do that as well, that, you know, we can show that empathy and say, yeah, you know, we're all going through it. What can we, what we can, can we do together? Um, how can we, whether it's a frustration or a problem, how can we kind of overcome that? I have, sometimes I have teachers, when I meet with teachers, I start out with what I call a gripe session. And it's not what you think. It's not a typical gripe session. Like, let's list everything that you hate about teaching. <laughs> right. know, let's, let's list all the things you don't like about kids. It's not that at all. The gripe yeah. session is just, what are the, the biggest hindrances that you see to your students learning in your classroom? It could be, well, it's absenteeism. It could be uh, uh, behavioral problems. It could be, whatever and some of the things and then we just list what we can control and what we can't and when they throw out the things we can't absenteeism for the large part we can't control that as as a teacher in the classroom as a district and as a school for sure so we throw those out and then we focus on what are the some things that we can control and then I, i'll ask them like what would be your dream day in the classroom what would it look like if everything was going in your class 100 percent how you wanted it what would it look like? And we list those things. And then we talk about how can we get there? So the gripe session, I call it a gripe session because we right. started yeah, festivus airing of grievances. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but like I said, I'm careful with that title because it, it I don't want it to turn into just what's wrong with the kids. What's wrong with this? Right. What's wrong with the classroom? But if we can identify and then I want to prioritize, right? Well, we can't control all these things, but maybe what's what's one thing that's biggest on your list? That's how we come up with a goal a lot of times. From that gripe session, we'll say, well, this is my number one thing. It's you know, student engagement. They're just not engaged. Okay, there we go. We have our goal. Now, what are some things that we can do to try to improve student engagement? Again, things we can control. There's certain things we can't control. You know, because we we can't compete with TikTok, for example. But there's certain things that Not we yet, no. <laughs> yeah, there's certain things we could do in the classroom. There's certain methods. There's certain things that we could do to get students engaged. So that's uh, I think that's the key. Yeah. Do you feel like you get a? Is it a similar sort of satisfaction as a pair, compared to when you were solely a classroom teacher, or is it a slightly different kind of satisfaction that you get from being a coach? Um, I think it's. I guess I would have to say that it's it's even more satisfying, believe it or not, as a coach, because when I was a, a teacher and you're in the classroom five days a week, and I call it five shows a day, that's what I tell really? myself, I do five shows a day, I would have five classes, I, I can be, I don't see the forest because I'm, I'm just staring at the trees, right, if that's a good analogy, I, in other words, I'm, I'm in the lesson five times a day, sometimes I, I wouldn't celebrate the growth, I wouldn't even necessarily acknowledge the growth. Where as a coach, I, I sit back and I can now see the big picture. I can see where more clearly than maybe the, the teacher who's with those students, again, five times a day, five days a week, I, I can see where the students were and then I can see where they've gone and then I see that growth and th that is extremely satisfying. And that's what I do as a coach is I, I try to celebrate that. That's an important part, uh, part of coaching that I don't want to forget is the celebration. 
is that when those students do grow and when those students do reach their goal, whether it's something uh, like increased classroom management or literally on this learning target, you know, only 5% were proficient in this learning standard. Now, 85% are pr proficient in this learning standard. That's something to celebrate. And I think that's uh, to celebrate that with teacher, that increases teacher efficacy when they see that, wow, I am, I'm making a difference, that the students are learning, the students are growing, uh, then I, I think that helps us uh, to, to continue motivating us. So I right. think that's that's huge and nice. So that's a little bit different where a lot of times, again, I was just so involved in the day-to-day -day teaching. I didn't even necessarily, I just didn't. And I think a lot of us are like that, that we don't stop to celebrate. We just kind of focus on what, going back to that gripe session, what are the problems in my classroom? How am I not reaching these? What are the things I'm not doing right? We don't stop and celebrate the things that teachers are doing and are doing really well. And we're not stopping to even celebrate what are our, our students doing despite all these challenges that students even have today. Um, so we need to stop and celebrate that. And I think coaching helps that. At least that's a focus of mine. It's not just, okay, great. Coaching cycles over, go on to the next thing. We stop and celebrate. Hey, this is, this is what the students were able to achieve. This is what we were able to achieve. Um, and how can we keep that going? Right. The forest looks pretty great once you're able to drag them out of the woods of doing five shows a day for a minute. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Well, I was curious too. You mentioned that you had were a classroom teacher for twenty twenty five years. You were a history teacher, right? I was a history teacher, yes. And mid middle school and high school, then? Uh, yeah, middle school and high school. I was curious. We always want to dig in a little bit about kind of the teacher origin story, right? Like what kind of got you? And it's I was curious. Being a teacher is it something that you wanted to do forever since back when you were a kid, or was it something that came to you a little bit later on in life? Yeah, I don't know if I'm unique in this, uh, but no. In, in fact, if I if you would have told me when I was in high school that I would be a teacher, uh, I I wouldn't believe uh, believe the person. I think some of my teachers would be rolling over in their graves as well. Uh, so, with joy, maybe. Yeah, uh, yeah, I would. Yeah, right. I was a I was a class clown when I was in school, but I actually wanted to be a graphic artist uh, when I was in high school. So teaching, yeah, teaching came to me later. Uh, I'll, I'll make a long story short, but uh, when I went to college, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I loved history. Those were some of my favorite classes. So I majored in history first, and then I decided, well, what do I want to do with it? And honestly, a lot of the options for history majors look boring, but I, I thought, wow, as far as teaching, I'm like, I do love to talk. I love, you know, I was a class clown. I love being in front of people and I love telling stories. Let's see if I love it in front of kids. That's That was the wild card. I didn't know if I would enjoy kids, uh, but I knew all the other things I thought. So I tried it. I took uh, teaching methods courses. And the and I, I firmly believe this, that you really never know if you can really teach until you get in front of students. I think you can't, you just can't simulate that. We we do our best in, in colleges and uh but until you get in front of the kids, you don't know. And as soon as I stepped in front of those kids, I was hooked. I had it. It was immediately. I knew that that's what I was going to do. I didn't know if I would do it 25, 30 years. You never know. But I thought I could do this. It's always interesting to and to have the the moment when you it kind of clicks in place. Because I always kind of think of it as, as two different things, right? Like where there's the first moment where you decide like, this is what I want to do. But then there's the second moment where you realize that you can, in fact, do the thing that you want to do. And that second one feels a lot better because you're like, oh, thank God I was right. But also really excited here. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. And you know, you bring up a good point. I never thought about that as far as did I ever have that moment where I wondered if I could, I think I always had the self-confidence because of the knowledge of history. I always did well in my history class. I did well in college. And when I got in front of those students, that's where I, again, I had that aha moment. I knew that I, I could, but even more importantly, I think is that I wanted to. Yeah. Um, that was one of the best pieces of advice my dad ever gave me. He's like, you got to love what you're going to do because you're going to do it for 30 years. You don't want to be stuck doing something that you hate. Uh, so that was a, that was like a, a, a joy and a relief. I'm like, oh, you know, because like, okay, this is, I enjoy it. Good. Because I'm probably going to be doing this for a long time. So I <laughs> Right. Five shows a day. You better like it. Yeah. And I tell my students that all the time that I share that advice with my students. I say, there's what my dad said, find something that you love doing because you're going to do it for 30 years. And I said, uh, I'm, I have bad days, but I wouldn't be here if I don't love doing this. So yeah, because they're always like, how do you like hanging out with us all day? You know, why, how do you like teaching? I'm like, I actually deal better with kids than I do adults. <laughs> you were a class clown, clown, but I think like the big question is, did the kids also think that you were funny? Yes. Okay, good. That's a relief yeah. too. <laughs> believe it, believe it or not, uh, believe it or not, the, the the kids still laugh at me, uh, and they still think I'm funny, and they still think I'm goofy. So uh, that's that's, exactly. that's when I'll know I need to hang it up if um uh, if I'm no longer. Uh, no longer funny or relatable. Right. Take that TikTok. You still got it. Yeah. <laughs> we always like to ask people, since they get nominated to be on the show, if you had any teachers, you mentioned that, you know, your, some of your teachers maybe would be uh, rolling around a little bit if they knew that you were a teacher. But I was curious, any educators for you at any point in your education journey? And again, it could be a teacher, a coach, even a colleague that you had at some point teachers in your life that you feel like inspired you or, or helped you become the person that you are today? Oh, that's a good question. Um, there's, there's so many teachers in my life that inspired me. Uh, unfortunately, because of my age, they're probably not around anymore. Uh, they're, they're long enjoying their retirement. That's okay. Um, you could just, you know, just, just talk about them, you know? Yeah. I, I and I will share this very quickly. Um, the I was a community college uh, again, fresh out of high school. Knew that I was good at school, so I wanted to do it, but I didn't know what. So again, part of your general education classes was a history class. Yeah. Um, and uh, Mr. Hill was, and I, I believe his name was was John. John Hill was uh, the first history professor, and uh, believe it or not, I kind of modeled my teaching after him because he was funny and made history relevant and all that. Uh, and that was one uh, teacher that that's when I thought, well, maybe that's where I decided maybe I could go into teaching I, again, not knowing yet, uh, but that's where I'm like, well, I like history. And that was the start of that thought process that I just shared about becoming a teacher. I think he started me on that road because I'm like, this guy uh, is really cool. Uh, and he made history uh, fun and, and things like that. So th I've had several teachers uh, like that. And I've been blessed with uh, great co-workers um, over the years that have uh, mentored me and, and kind of helped me on my path. Um, if you're looking for people to interview, I, I could recommend a host of teachers here at North Boone. Um, that would be uh, wonderful uh, for you to chat with uh, as well. Did you ever get to connect with Mr. Hill afterwards and, and, and let him know that, you know, he kind of, kind of started you off on that path or, or no? 
No, unfortunately, uh, after that, I, I lost track of them when I went to, again, that was in undergrad. And then when right. I got my graduate, and then when I, um, I did try to reconnect with him, but I found out he passed away. So unfortunately, uh, I was not able to uh, tell him. And I regret that, you know, that I didn't get a chance to tell him that, uh, how much he meant to me on on my journey, because he didn't know it. You know, I was just, you know, some uh, 18-year-old in his uh, uh, college freshman history class. Um, but that's I mean, that, that is part of that's teaching in a nutshell. I was about to say that. Yeah, that is that is kind of teaching in a nutshell, right? Is that you you never know what you're gonna say or who you're gonna say it to that might take something like that for the rest of their life. Exactly, exactly. I was just gonna say I'm I'm sure, yeah, a lot of us um teachers don't know the impact, and we may never know um the impact uh, that we have on, on certain people, but we do know that at least I do, I do know and trust that I have had an impact, even if I never hear from a particular student. Um, and again, and I don't think I'm being arrogant in any way in saying that you just, you just looking at it mathematically, the number of students that I've had, there's gotta be somebody. Just statistically <laughs> there's, gotta be, there's gotta be at least one that I impacted positively in some way. So uh, yeah, so that was my experience with Mr. Hill. I didn't get a chance to tell him, but like I said, uh, I'm sure that's true of a lot of teachers. You're like, just law of averages. We had to have gotten yeah. one, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The law of averages. I got to have, you know, there's got to be something, got to be at least one. What's something about your work now as an instructional coach that you think is maybe more important than people outside of education might realize who aren't familiar with what you do? Oh, I, again, I would think uh, I would want people to know as far as instructional coaching, how important collaboration is um, to not only uh, improving yourself as a teacher, but helping student growth uh, as well. And, and again, I've said this before, everybody needs a coach. Sometimes we tend to think whether, again, whether you're in teaching, I just mean in, in general, no matter what your occupation is, no matter what you're doing, I think everybody needs a coach. Everybody needs somebody to come alongside them, to encourage them, to share ideas, to brainstorm. Uh, and I think that's the real benefit is that um, in teaching in particular, again, we we generally, we can spend an entire career standing by ourselves in a room full of students with nobody to bounce ideas off. And that's a shame. Uh, so if that's you know one thing that I, I wish more teachers would know and school districts would know uh, is is that everybody needs a coach and it's not about uh, again being authoritative or evaluative in any way uh, it, it's about sharing that sharing the burden of teaching sharing the joys of teaching sharing resources and, and partnering and then the last question we always have is what's something about education that you just wish more people knew oh one thing about education Oh my gosh. Uh, I don't know. Uh, sometimes as far as education, it, it especially now because of the pandemic, it's there's a lot of negativity. Uh, one thing that I would I would still say is that I still come to work with a big smile on my face. This is my 26th year uh, in education and it's awesome. So I know that seems maybe super simple, but it, like I said, in these, in these times that we've been through a, a pandemic, there's just a lot of negatively negativity a lot of bad things that have happened uh but education is is still amazing students are still amazing it's worth it uh anybody that's considering education it's absolutely worth it um you are 
you really are impacting impacting children you're impacting the future that's not just a slogan it's 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 not a cliche it's absolutely true um i wish i had a chance to tell mr hill i wish i would have ch had a chance to tell mrs cruz my fifth grade teacher i still remember her so uh like i said who do we remember we remember our teachers we do uh, and there's a reason for that. So education is absolutely worthwhile. Uh, it is a noble profession. Uh, it's hard, but there's also, it's extremely rewarding. Thanks so much for listening to Teacher's Lounge. As always, feel free to nominate a teacher in your life to be on the show. It's how we get all of our great guests like Mike. Please do send them our way to teacherslounge at niu.edu. And wherever you're hearing this podcast, please do subscribe, leave us a rating, share it. It really is the best way to get even more perspectives on the show. Please do subscribe to the Teacher's Lounge newsletter if you'd like to keep up to date with everything having to do with the show. You can find a link to do that on this episode's webpage over at W. WNIJ.org. A big thank you to the Northern Illinois Band Kind Ofs for the music you hear each and every episode of the show. I've been your host, Peter Medlin, and we'll be back with some really fun best of 2023 episodes of Teacher's Lounge coming your way very soon. See ya.